Welcome to Jyotish Conversations, a weekly series presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. Each week we feature a half-hour conversation with a leading practitioner of Jyotish, Vedic astrology. Our goal is to make this ancient knowledge interesting, understandable, and somewhat less mysterious. So here's this week's show, and thanks for listening. Well, good afternoon, Penny. How are you? I'm very well, Ben. How are you? Good. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I thought we would um, continue, not exactly in a linear way, from uh, our last discussion where we started to venture into the area of how do we interpret what the planets are saying or, or the pattern of the cosmos. Where do we not even interpret, but where do we begin to even uh, get a handle on it. What are the what are the letters? What are the words? What are the sentences? Mm-hmm. And obviously, with any language, you have to start with the letters, <laughs> and you have to know what the letters are in reference to other letters. And so we we took our first step in even doing something as fundamental as what is the reference point. So we spent our last talk discussing the fact that. Two major astrological traditions, uh, Jyotisha and Western astrology, in fact have something as fundamentally different as the reference points by which they measure where one of the important markers, the grahas or the planets, are actually located. Right. And that has um, implications for any mapping, uh, any charting of the cosmic display. Because that's basically uh, what we're going to be into when we're looking at, um, well, at, at anything, at either a birth chart or the chart of a nation or the chart of a moment. Uh, we, in one way or another, and I'm saying this very deliberately because different techniques of divination involving the sky uh, involve different ways of looking at those sky patterns or representing them. Um, but to make things clear and simple, or as clear as simple as I, as I can, probably the most intelligent thing to do is focus on what people are most interested in, which is their own birth chart. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, the impact that I make on the world, my entry into this life, of course, is uh, what interests most of us, because we come in with an ahankara, with an ego. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> that we spend the rest of our life either uh, culturing and pampering or, <laughs> or training. <laughs> or wrestling with, yes. <laughs> or wrestling with and training, exactly. And so, you know, traditionally, um, you know, we, we will discuss how other kinds of Jyotish techniques use the same cosmic kaleidoscope display um, and how that gets represented. But I think that the best place to start is um, the birth chart. And that was mainly what I was doing when I was discussing the reference points that Western and Joshua used in our last uh, session. Right. So what we're asking, the question that we're asking is, what, if, we're, if we're having this analogy, or at least this thought that I'm fond of, that the cosmic display... The, the whole gestalt of the patterning 
of the cosmos at the time of import, at the time of inquiry, and in this case, the birth time, is in fact a language. It's a communication, if you will, uh, the way any um, pattern in nature is. And I've used this analogy before that trees communicate to us about wet and dry cycles by virtue of their tree rings, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. So a record so of it. the cosmos is communicating to us uh, about the disposition of a particular trajectory, uh, but the cosmos uses um, markers and orders of reality that are a little more complex. Different cultures, um, you know, in the ancient world responded to this cosmic pattern uh, and represented it in different ways, different meanings. But basically, uh, most cultures deal with three orders of reality. The order of reality of the, of the fixed stars, the most um, uh, constant uh, backdrop of the sky. And I think I mentioned um, previously that although the fixed stars are fixed with reference to us, they also move, but their movement is so glacial <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, over, you know, eons and eons and eons that for practical purposes, uh, we can consider them fixed. And this particular uh, more eternal order of reality, we in fact touched on in our last um, session when we discussed the fact that uh, the Vedic tradition, Jyotisha, uses a fixed star, Chitra or Spica, as the very marker of where to start um, locating planets around the 360-degree uh, arc uh, circle of the zodiac. Mm -hmm. And that this was a different um, marker than Western astrology, which uses the vernal equinox. So already Jyotisha is, is pulling in this idea of the fixed stars, and it pulls it in majorly when uh, it goes into the uh, nakshatras. Right, of the, course. The 27 or 28 lunar mansions, as they're called. And in fact, um, they predate these lunar signs, we could say, predate the use of solar signs. There's no uh, uh, Mesha, Aries, um, uh, Pisces mentioned uh, in Vedic literature. Mm. I say Vedic literature and Veda itself. But the nakshatras, of course, are there. And when one does a uh, ritual, of course, one's asked for their uh, Janma nakshatra, the, the uh, lunar mansion, the lunar sign that the moon was in at the time of birth. So this all refers to this uh, starry, fixed star uh, canopy, we could say, uh, layer number one. And when you uh, open Shastra, as I mentioned, um, it's ta it, they talk about the fact that the nakshatras are uh, a major contextualizer. They're part of Jyotisha, even as the same Shastras don't give us a lot of detail as to how to use them. Mm -hmm. But they're definitely mentioned you know, right, right there at the beginning of most um, works. The next layer, of course, is the layer that we're all used to, uh, which is the uh, intermediate layer, uh, the movement of the uh, grahas through the, our solar system. So that gets represented in charts, of course, 
by um, the personalities and the characteristics assigned to the Nangarahas. And uh, much attention is paid to their relationship to each other. Much attention is paid to their cycles and how to predict their cycles when uh, the true planets go retrograde, when they are too close to the sun. And of course, the tracking of the planets is critical in uh, developing uh, a chart, uh, a mapping at a particular moment in time. So it's the grahas that move through the intermediate space uh, that's closer to us of the solar system. And kind of getting the idea of the layers, one is, you know, the fixed star canopy, much, uh, you know, grand and exalted and, you know, light years away. And then the next is the, is the grahas moving through an intermediate uh, level of space, still very far away, but more immediate in a way. Right, and it, it certainly is impressive because we think of this as coming from a, you know, a traditional culture, but it doesn't mean that it was in any way primitive. Oh, no. You know, this is, it's just um, astounding to think that this had been developed really before there was, uh, or while the Vedic culture was still primarily a, an oral tradition. Exactly, exactly. And there are means of measuring and uh, uh, just the intellectual um, fire that allowed them to understand these very abstract relationships and distances and concepts of time and it's it's mind-boggling and all of them have held up yes. as we've gone along and brought in our scientific precision it's just remarkable what was accomplished okay so that, that's sort of the second order and then the third is the reality in which we live so that's the earth the bumi as it's called and that gets represented um, in the mapping process uh, by the houses or bhavas because it's in fact um, the orientation of planet Earth uh, to the sun and transiting planets and especially to the diurnal motion of the sun that creates the phenomena of bhavas, of houses. So the kinds of motions that we are concerned about when we start to translate the language of the spheres, so to speak. I, I, that's a grand concept, the language mm-hmm. of the spheres. I think Wagner did the language of the spheres, or Holtz when he wrote the planets. So it's a kind of um, amazing phrase. But that's what we're trying to do. You know, this is, this is, this is not a small task. Uh, but the methods that we use, the tracking that we use, in actually... Um, crystallizing the pattern of the moment, whatever moment we're interested in, into um, an expression uh, that we could start to interpret and translate, generally uses two um, motions that we should probably talk about. One is diurnal motion, which means daily diurnal. The other is proper motion, which refers to how a heavenly body uh, moves in time through the Rashis. A heavenly body here being a graha, uh, uh, and a graha means the sun itself and the moon, etc. Because from planet Earth, once again, uh, from the point of view of the Bhumi, where we are as observers, Jyotisha and Western astrology are geocentric. And from a geocentric point of view, we're fixing our location 
and looking at everything else as moving instead of the, the scientific reality of it's the earth rotating that causes these motions that I'm about to talk about. But that's fine because we're dealing with a divination system that's using the sky as an omen. If we remember way back to the divination right. systems of India, Antariksha, the use of the sky as an omen, a predictable omen, is the granddaddy. Um, well, Nimitta, you know, omen is the granddaddy, and then the sky as an omen is the is the canopy mm -hmm. under which most of the other divination systems slot in. So, for our purposes in this divination system of Jyotisha, which is not science, <laughs> not in the sense that we think of uh, as Western science, no, it's principle based, but it is divination. It's a numinous. Um, kind of approach to reality. Right. So uh, in this particular approach then, we are observing the sun as moving around the earth and that motion, and the planets also, and that motion takes these two forms, the, the daily motion and then the annual motion, we can even say, with respect to the sun. So let's keep it simple and just look at this phenomena with respect to the sun. So with respect to the sun, we observe, this is our experience, that the sun rises in the east. Agreed? Yes. And it then moves up towards the midheaven. And for uh, those of us in the northern hemisphere, and unfortunately that's where I live, so that's what I'm going to stay with, and everybody who's down under will need to translate this for <laughs> themselves. <laughs> we see the sun as moving to the midheaven, and if we are not located at the equator, where the sun will culminate directly overhead. Our experience in observing the sun is it's slightly to the south, okay? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, more so to the south, the further um, northern latitude you are and, the, and more into the winter. You know, that's our experience. And then it comes higher uh, in the summertime for reasons that I'm not going to get into <laughs> this particular talk. But this is our experience. It goes up to the midheaven, and we observe it uh, at its highest point, in the sky at 12 o'clock noon, or at midday, uh, depending on the day we're looking at, mm -hmm. divided in half when the sun is most culminated at the halfway point. And then it sets in the west, and then an anti-culminates uh, at about midnight, um, getting ready to rise again in the east. That would be in the north. That's the diurnal motion of the sun, the daily motion of the sun. Okay? <laughs> but we also observe that through the months of the year, uh, let's go with the vernal equinox as a starting point, uh, or where Jyotisha sees the sun at zero degrees Aries, which is not the vernal equinox, it's around 15th, 16th of April, actually. And then we notice that the sun moves from zero degrees Aries to 30 degrees Aries, from zero degrees Taurus to 30 degrees Taurus, like that around um, the... Uh, through the signs of the zodiac. And that that motion actually is, if we're looking at it in terms of a chart, uh, the diurnal motion through the, through the bhavas, through the houses, goes one way, and the proper motion through the signs goes the opposite way. And one of the differences between the North and South Indian representations of tracking these motions is that they are opposite each other. 
So one uh, treats the diurnal motion as clockwise, and the other treats the diurnal motion as counterclockwise when uh, mapping out the chart. Do you have any idea how why you know why that happened? Uh, culturally? No, I have no idea why that happened culturally. Uh, it's an interesting question. Maybe both of us can try to find that out. Mm -hmm. But it's this it's the representation of these two motions. That's the heart of charting. Uh, that's the heart of creating the sky map in an accurate way. Just as uh, the reference point of where we figure the planets to be, you know, between this, the um, tropical and sidereal system, right, uh, is sort of the heart of mapping in the two different systems, because <laughs> otherwise you don't know where the planets are exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, in order to initiate the process of drawing a map, you need to understand uh, how you're going to represent these two different kinds of motions. So I'm hoping this isn't too abstract. Um, I think that uh, what we'll do is uh, post on the site um, a little chakra, a little representation of a South Indian chart, a North Indian chart, and maybe even a Western chart then. Okay, you know, sure. To, uh, to contrast these three things. Because in order to represent... Uh, how the sky looked and therefore start to understand the language of the pattern that was created, you need to map it. <laughs> that's right. The, that's the basic. You need to map it. And that map is going to have these three components uh, that I've been discussing. It's going to have the component of the fixed stars. It's going to have the component of the, of the grahas that are moving through our, our solar system. And it's going to have the component of... Um, of the earthly representation, the you know the the pieces of the sky as seen from planet Earth, the windows of the sky, we could say. Uh, so where do we start? That's the that's the question to address today. Well, in the Jyotish tradition, there's a word that means to tie down, the tying down point. And that word is lagna. Lagna means to tie down. And when we're talking about the tying down point of a birth chart, how to tie down the heavens, how to crystallize that pattern, then we call it by a special name. We call it Udaya lagna. And that's the lagna for the time of a birth. Now, there's many kinds of lagnas. There's many ways we could tie down this cosmic pattern. But when we speak of Udaya lagna, we're talking about uh, the tying down point between an individual birth and the cosmic pattern, which is neutral up until that point. And the single most important factor, the, the simplest way to think about this is we look to the east. So at the time of a birth, at the place of the birth, we could think of projecting, it's not as simple as this, but for, for this will suffice just to give people an idea, which is all we really want to do. We look, we project a line, an imaginary line out the eastern horizon. And if we project it out into space, it's going to bump into 
the wheel of the zodiac, the path of the sun around the earth in its diurnal motion. So let's pretend that someone was born right at sunrise, wherever they were born. It was exactly sunrise. And let's pretend that they were born um, when the sun itself, well, it was in Scorpio, <laughs> like it is okay. right now. Okay? Yeah. So if a person is born at sunrise and the sun that day could be seen against the stars of Scorpio, okay? You can mm-hmm. just imagine that. Then if you looked at the eastern horizon at the time of the birth, you would see both the sun and if you could take the light of the sun away, the stars of Scorpio. That's what would be on the eastern horizon because the birth was sunrise. Okay? Now, if a person's born maybe a couple of hours past sunrise, depending again on the location, time of year, that wheel of the zodiac that's represented by the sun rotating around the earth, one completion, the diurnal motion, the sun is going to be on its way up to the midheaven, right? Right. And as Scorpio, as, as that wheel turns from the sign of Scorpio, if you looked out the eastern horizon, you would no longer see the sun there because it's past sunrise. But you would see the stars of Sagittarius there because as Scorpio goes up towards the midheaven, you know, the whole wheel is rotating, uh, then the next sign is on the eastern horizon. And this is where the concept of rising sign comes from, or ascendant. What star group, what Rashi, what constellation is seen on the eastern horizon? And about every two hours, that's the average, but it isn't always, uh, you can't always count on it being exactly two hours. Some signs come up quickly over the eastern horizon, some take a longer time, mm-hmm. and again, that uh, depends on um, the geography, the latitude, longitude considerations. But we'll say two hours on the average, 12 signs, 24 hours. So at any time of day, if you look out to the eastern horizon, one of the 12 signs of the zodiac is, so to speak, rising. The star group is seen on the east. And as that phenomena occurs, the sun has moved around the zodiac in its diurnal motion. And when Scorpio is again on the eastern horizon, it's the next day. All right. <laughs> While the sun's in Scorpio. Okay. So this is the diurnal motion, and it's this motion that sets the birth chart. Because the collision, and kind of collision is a little funny uh, term, but the collision of an individual trajectory ball of karma (laughs) with the cosmic pattern happens at that moment of, of birth when we project that imaginary line out that eastern horizon and it bumps into whatever star group is rising at that time. That is the beginning of the trajectory. That is the beginning of our map. And we call that constellation the rising sign, and we call that the beginning of the chart, and it's given the the number of this is the first baba. This is the first um, clump of significations and meanings. And it's always, the first baba is always the east. 
in any chart representation. So where that eastern piece of the sky gets represented in the actual visible chart varies with the three forms that you're going to show. Okay. In the western tradition, they show a circle chart, and they show the east on the left side of the circle, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the North Indian tradition, they show uh, in a, a fairly complicated little uh, diagram, as you know, people will see when they look at that chart. Um, if you imagine, if don't get caught up with the little triangles and diamonds uh, when you see that chart, but if, just imagine where 12 o'clock would be on a clock. Mm-hmm. And that's where the east is in that chart. It's much more complicated in a way for the South Indian chart because east travels, <laughs> <laughs> depending on the rising sign. Where east is going to be shown is going to be uh, uh, a different consideration because of the way it gets mapped. And that probably would be the subject of another uh, talk because it would be too complicated trying to put that all into this one. But I think it's important just to understand that each one of them is going to show the East. And East has this significance of being the beginning. And, of course, why not? Symbolically, uh, that's what every culture through the ages has always looked to the dawn of a new day, of a new beginning. Sure. So naturally, whether the sun is there or not at the time of birth, because you know, I'm born in the evening, and I'm still looking to the east to see my, the beginning of my chart. So the reality is that we aren't all born with the sun in, our, in the east. You know, that would be very sort of strange. Right, uh, right. Because right. we're born at different times of day. So if you're born at 12 o'clock, your sun's not going to be in the east. It's going to be in the south. And a, a sign that's about four away from your sun, four after the sign that your sun is in, will be on the eastern horizon. So that's mm-hmm. how that goes. But we still look to the east, metaphorically speaking, uh, with the analogy of the dawn of a new day. It's the dawn of a new life, we could say. Sure. And that life is symbolized, represented by the star group that's rising uh, in the east. So notice we're using the star group, right? Oh, yes, right. We started off with this uh, talk. I mentioned that there are, you know, these these realities. And then the star group, the constellations, are dictating what the um, piece of sky as seen from planet Earth what sector, what direction it's going to be, and those directions are the are the connection between the star groups and the observation from planet Earth and where the sun is. So all those layers get integrated in that one moment of setting the ascendant or setting the lagna or the time down point. And this um, eastern sector of the sky that we're calling the first bhava is critically important interpretively, and this we'll go on to talk about down the line a bit. It's seen as the um, egg corn to the oak tree. It's seen as the um, completeness of what that life will be, uh, you know, the root of the whole chart, because all of the calculations, all of the trajectories, uh, all the divisional charts, all of the many uh, layers of analysis come out of that rising sun. You know, so it becomes um, very important, very basic. 
so much so that even in interpretation, one could say that if that constellation, that rising sign in that section, that eastern section of the sky at the time of birth, is well disposed. Now, what does that mean? It means that um, everything about it is um, auspicious for that particular native. Then even defects in the rest of the chart can get handled. It's like the proverbial, the person can make lemonade out of lemons. (laughs) If that particular eastern um, section of the sky is disadvantaged, afflicted in some way, then we have to look for a lot of compensatory strength. So it's it, we can almost think of it as, you know, if the sun is blighted, <laughs> uh, getting back to our analogy of the dawn of a new day, if the sun is blighted uh, at, the, at dawn, I suspect that um, the ancients would not have a good feeling about that day, right? Oh, definitely not. And, and it's very interesting uh, that the, the Vedic tradition is very 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 solar oriented um the um uh not only does the birth birth is 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 related to the sun i mean and it li- literally says that we come from the sun that mm-hmm. the soul enters this earthly plane through the sun and the uh, funeral rites um some of the slokas there are telling the soul to to leave this earthly plane through the sun as well, so so not only is it used as a, a you know a marker from a, a timing perspective, but it's also uh, the the link between the individual and the universe. I mean, and it it's very very broad in scope. The the sense of uh, the importance of the position of the sun and and uh, uh, how that marks the individual and the beginning of the individual life. And yet it does it in a very different way than the orientation of Western astrology to the sun. Mm-hmm. You know, in Western astrology, of course, the sun sign is is very prominent. The individual is described uh, in terms of their solar sign. And that's, uh, that isn't what you're really saying, and that's not really what I'm saying either. Right. It's not, the, it's not the, the sign that the sun is in. It's the symbology of the east, and mm-hmm. then the and then and then the the more of the essence of what that of what that quadrant of the sky uh, really means. And to just sort of follow up, something popped into my head that you know may be slightly off track, but it's very interesting uh, along the lines of what you said. That there, the year is divided into the sort of northerly course of the sun and the southerly course of the sun, mm-hmm. uh, as you well know. And, you know, that can be the subject of, uh, of another talk at some time. But it's considered that the auspicious things in life should take place as the sun is moving towards uh, the longer day in its higher position. So in, in this kind of dovetails in just with what you're saying, that there's, you know, entries and leavings and important events are tied to the sun's movement through its northerly course. Sure. And then there are other events that can take place during the southerly course, but you know, in the tradition, it's very interesting uh, how they regard those two different trackings of the sun. And it kind of dispels the myth that Western is solar-based 
and Jyotisha is uh, lunar based. And although <laughs> there true. is some, um, you know, I could see why people would say that it isn't true. Jyotisha is very much solely lunar. Mm -hmm. It's the it's, it's the it's the balance. It's the perfect balance, and and understanding that and using that properly, even interpretively, is extremely important. But getting back to this idea of the preeminence of the sun's sign versus the east, uh, what I'm trying to express to people, which is is different, very different, I think, from Western. I wasn't a Western astrologer, so you know, people can certainly correct me. Is that the show in Jyotisha is the rising sun, not mm. the sun sign. Right. In describing the reality of, of the um, perspective from planet Earth. Because we will describe the perspective from the, the, uh, from the manas, you know, from the uh, emotional uh, mental complex, which is represented by the moon, and then from the solar complex, which is represented by the sun, and when we do Jyotish, we look at those three points of view, and that gives us good sight. And in fact, this kind of uh, looking at a, a birth chart from the sun, from the moon, and from the lagna, good sight is Sudarshana. Uh, and, and we do take that perspective. But for the basics of what the reality is on planet Earth. You know, how will this person negotiate through their life in terms of um, the material aspects of life, body-based? You know, their status in life, their uh, the body, their self, their personality, their appearance, their health—all of those things. Rising sign. It's mm -hmm. all in relation to Udaya Lagna. That's the Lagna that's looked at for the practical, uh, earthly realities of life. And that's figured in this particular way of taking this intersection point of the time and place of birth with the eastern horizon, looking to the constellation, the star group rising on the eastern horizon and saying, that is the origination of the karmas for this life. This is where the wheel of karma starts for this particular individual.